Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome and thank you for joining me. Uh, if this sounds a little strange today, um, I'm on the telephone today. Uh, my Skype connection, I, uh, I'll i have to take it to uh, a technician, I guess, and figure out what's going on because it's not connecting on my computer. I had to get a new one, as um, I think I shared with you. And, uh, yeah, well... Anyway, so much for that. It's, today is, of course, August the 24th of 2016, and uh, it's been a warm day here in western Kentucky. We're back into the heat and humidity. It's still summer, folks. Heavenly Father, I just give thanks for this day, and I just thank you, dear Lord, for an opportunity to share words through this program. And Lord, I just ask and pray that you just continue to be with each and every one of us, and Lord, those that are suffering loss over the floods or the fires that have been going on throughout this country, Lord, I just pray that you just be with them and just touch the hearts of those that believe in you, Heavenly Father, to lend a helping hand in any way that they can. And Lord, I just continue to pray for this nation. I can continue to pray for our leaders, dear Heavenly Father. Just touch their hearts and their minds, dear Lord. Because uh, I just, Lord, it's all in your hands, and and you know. But, Lord, I just, in my prayer, along with others, Heavenly Father, just continue to bless us. In your Son, Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Okay, today we start a new uh, lesson, which is a prophet without honor. The opposition builds. And the memory verse for today is only in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And that's Mark uh, chapter 6, verse 4. At the heart of it all today, today we look at how Jesus provoked great hostility from his own family, his hometown, and the religious people of that day. Among some of them, the hostility was intense enough that they wanted to destroy him completely. The home front. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. And someone told him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father and heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And that's Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, 50. Like many great souls throughout history, Jesus was not fully appreciated by his own family. This is not surprising. People who know us up close and personal, who have seen us without our makeup, 
so to speak, are often slow to appreciate our finer qualities. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, made his home in Capernaum, not Nazareth. That was necessary, as seen by his rejection at Nazareth, an incident we will look at shortly. He could not be who he was and still be the carpenter's son in Nazareth. A clean break was essential. A key term for today, traditions. While tradition is not a bad thing in itself, Jesus faced the hostility of people who were so mired in the traditions of the elders that they had lost sight of what religious living really meant. Like all great souls, Jesus was confronted by the age-old argument, we never did it that way before. When this episode occurred, Jesus had been absent from Nazareth for a while. Strictly speaking, he was not the same person who left it some time earlier. His baptism, temptation, miracles, time spent with the disciples, all had changed and depended on and depended uh, and deepened him, rather. The ancient world took family ties much more seriously than we do. Jesus' words about families did not seem quite so jarring to us, given how extended families can be dispersed over a large area. To Jesus, family blood ties took precedence over the other relationships, and of course, honor your father and mother was one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus made it clear that spiritual ties were more important. Jesus was not saying that family ties did not matter, but as in the episode of his boyhood when he was about his father's business in the temple, there are spiritual ties that are greater importance than familiar ones. Although Jesus' words may seem harsh, They are words of a great comfort to people whose family relationships have been unpleasant or unfulfilling. We have no control over who our parents, siblings, and other family members are, and some homes may seem like an enemy camp than a dwelling place of love. But those who follow Jesus, who do the will of the Father, find themselves part of the new spiritual family. The true family consists of those who honor the same Father. Kinship comes from sharing experiences, which is true of any biological family, but also true of a spiritual family. Inevitably, both the biological and spiritual family bond through suffering. They also bond through having the same purpose. Mark's version of this episode is more blunt than Matthew's. Jesus' family went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And that's Mark chapter 3, verse 21. The Greek is literally, he is beside himself. In their eyes, Jesus had thrown away security and safety of his family business in Nazareth. A cultural insight here, brothers and sisters and such. In Acts and New Testament epistles, the word A-D-E-L-P-H-O-I, brothers, is used constantly to refer to fellow Christians, brothers implied sisters too, of course. Paul, the single man who had dedicated his whole life to work of God and who chose to forego family life, did not hesitate to refer to Timothy, Timothy and Onesis as my dear son, my true son, 
and Peter referred to Mark, my son. Paul commanded our sister Phoebe to the believers in Rome and told them to the great Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. He advised Timothy, the pastor, to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. At the same time, Paul reminded the Christians and Ephesians to remember the importance of the command to honor father and mother, for the biological family had not ceased to matter. His antagonizing of the influenced Pharisees must have been suicidal. His devout family would have respected the Pharisees' opinion and thus feared for his safety. The family may have been aware of plots against him as related in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Families do not typically like to encourage risk and are generally fixated on what the neighbors think. Jesus' family members are willing to take charge of him, bring him back to normal life, which is clearly not what he was called to. Hometown Hostility Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he's been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And that's our memory verse. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And that's Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and 6. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recover of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fascinated on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, Heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, where the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow and Zaphra in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went his way. And that's Luke chapter 4, verse 1630. In Mark's gospel, this story of Jesus' rejection in Nazareth follows the stories of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter to life and healing the woman with the flow of blood. Those stories of belief are followed by this story of unbelief. Early in gospel, Jesus reveals relatives have tried to speak to him and bring him home. That tells us that the people of Nazareth had already heard of what he was doing. A cultural insight here, scrolls. In Bible times, books did not exist. Writings are preserved on scrolls. When you encounter the word book in an English Bible, be aware that it was actually first to a scroll. Books were not invented till sometime around A.D. 100. Even after books became common, periods continued to perverse scrolls, especially for literary classics. Scrolls were made of sheets of papyrus, a parchment, pasted together to form a long roll, generally no more than 35 feet in length. Obviously, the entire Bible would not fit on one scroll. The usual rule was one book, for example, Genesis, per scroll. All the longer books, such as Psalms, took up more than one scroll. Each scroll was wound on two wooden rods. Papyrus was a cheap material made from the stalks of the type of marsh plant. Parchment of higher quality and more costly was made of animal hides. The synagogues, scrolls of the laws and prophets were generally written on parchment, a finer and more durable material, more suited for the words of God. Working-class Jews who owned copies of the scripture generally owned papyrus copies. Synagogues, scripture scrolls were almost always in Hebrew, which by Jesus' day was no longer the language of the people, having been replaced by Aramaic. The synagogues or interpreter would let the reader read aloud from the scroll in Hebrew. Then every few verses, the interpreter would translate or paraphrase those verses into the language of the people Aramaic. Each synagogue had a tipah, T-E-B-H-A-H, an ark or a chest containing the scripture scrolls each scroll wrapped in a fine cloth. Scrolls are still used in synagogues today. Nazareth had already heard of what he was doing elsewhere, and we sense that they already had their minds made up before he set foot in the town. They took offense at him. The chilly reception in Nazareth proved that there are two sides to disbelief. The priests, scribes, and the Pharisees looked down on the ignorance of the working classes. But as this case proves, the working class shared the contempt themselves. One of their own people has become important. Him, 
The response of the Nazarenes is typical. No small town expects one of its own people to do anything extraordinary. Who does this guy think he is anyway? Jew of Judah looked down on Galilee as the court of Gentiles. While Judah was the inner sanctuary, there are few Galilean rabbis of note. So strong was the prejudice against Galileans. It is quite possible the Galileans shared those prejudices against their own region. The phenomenon is still with us. Rival service succeeded to some extent because people are more attentive to be and moved by the words of a visiting preacher than the words of their own. Jesus referred to as Mary's son, a hint that Joseph was already dead, which would explain why Jesus waited until he was about 30 to become or to begin his ministry. Obviously, his family obligations kept him at home, perhaps until the younger brothers could provide for the family, including the widowed mother. Mary's son could possibly be a snide reference to the circumstances of Jesus' birth. It was rare for Jews of that period to refer to someone this way, even if the father was deceased. Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. While Matthew and Luke also tell this episode, only Mark has Jesus add among his relatives to the remark about not being honored in his hometown. Jesus may have been thinking specifically of an earlier prophet, poor Jeremiah, who owned family, had betrayed him. And that's Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 6. While the people of his hometown, Anthony, had told him, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hands. And that's chapter 11, verse 21 of Jeremiah. Hometown hostility was nothing new for the messengers of God. In Matthew's Gospel, the first people to pay homage to Jesus are foreigners, the Magi, while Herod, the king of the Jews, tries to have the child killed. From the very beginning, the prophet is without honor among his own people. In the words of John's Gospel, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And that's verse 1, chapter 11. John meant his own to refer to the Jews, but certainly the words apply to the people of his hometown as well. Luke's version of the rejection of, of Nazareth is interesting, not only for what it reveals about Jesus and the Nazarenes, but also the light it sheds on the way Jesus of that time worshipped on the Sabbath. Luke notes that Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom, that he is a faithful Jew. The synagogue was a sacred place, not a place for levity or socializing. In a typical synagogue service, the people would sing a psalm and then receive the Shema. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 9. The Chazan, the C-H-A-Z-Z-A-N, the synagogue ruler, would normally ask one of the men or a visiting teacher to read the scripture and speak at the service. The Chazan was not a paid clergyman, but a respected layman who was the administrator at the synagogue. Jarius, whose daughter Jesus raised to life, was a Chazan. 
the man who read a passage from the law and the prophets followed by a sermon on what was read. Jesus deliberately unrolled the Isaiah scroll to the passage he read. Luke, with his great concern for the poor, must have been pleased that this passage from Isaiah announces good news to the poor first of all. Luke, with his emphasis on the Spirit, has Jesus quite quote uh, the Isaiah passage with its mention to the Spirit of the Lord. And the Isaiah passage Jesus read was the announcement that the real Messiah was not going to be like the Messiah, the materialistic Jews hopes. Did you know Jesus was a teton? A T-E-K-T-O-N. Usually translated carpenter, but the word implies a high level of skill. Something like a builder, contractor, even an architect. The Aramaic word uh, behind it was nagre, N-A-G-G-A-R-A, and often a nagre was uh, inherent speed in the spending much time on, on the road, going from site to site. Nazareth was near the main roads that put several important cities within a day's journey. The Isaiah passage is beautiful, all about good news to the poor, releasing the prisoners, etc. But Jesus said something shocking. The scripture was fulfilled there and then. The Spirit was on him, Mary's son, the carpenter. They hadn't expected this, and they felt threatened by it. Instead of simply repeating comforting words from the scripture, Jesus was fulfilling the actual words of God in their midst. They took even more offense when Jesus spoke of the two great prophets, Elijah and Elias, performing great miracles for Gentiles. Jesus does not explain why the miracles were done among the Gentiles and not in Israel, although the obvious explanation is that it was God's will that they did so. To the Nazarenes, Jesus is putting on airs, referring to himself in the small breath as two of the great prophets of the Bible. In fact, Jesus would work more and greater miracles than Elijah and Elijah's but not among the Nazarenes, for they will not believe. Jesus had just read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, part of the long passage on the year of the Lord's favor. The irony is that after proclaiming the arrival of that faithful year, his townsmen tried to kill him. They hope to push Jesus off a cliff, but he slips away, which might be considered a miracle, but almost certainly is not, since it would be exactly the kind of miraculous sign that Jesus does not do in his hometown. How precisely he got away from them on that occasion is a mystery. In Nazareth, Jesus was doing something he had told his disciples not to do, casting his pearls before swine. The dwellers in Nazareth were not horrible people, of course, but they had a bias typical of people everywhere. They did not expect someone great to arise from their own people. The Gospels do not tell us why Jesus paid this visit. 
sentiment was obviously a factor, perhaps a desire to see family members, even though the gospel had already told us that his own family did not fully understand his mission. Perhaps he did not see it as right to preach the kingdom to other towns of Galilee and bypass the town where he grew up. But the reaction of the locals could not have surprised him, nor should it surprise us. His reception in his own hometown is in capsule from true of his reception to the world at large. The people's lack of faith limited the miracles he could do. Something true of every place he visited, for though he performed many miracles and drew crowds wherever he went, the Gospels make it clear that far more people rejected or ignored him than followed him. This is true not only of Nazareth, but also his latter home, Capernaum, where he performed many miracles, but which he also condemned for his lack of faith. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Eternal medicine. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then his disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come out from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make a man unclean. And that's Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 and 3, and also 7 through 20. Okay, folks, uh, we're going to wrap it up here, and um, we will continue with the um, rest of a prophet without honor on uh, Friday. In the meantime, I pray that you have a great and glorious afternoon. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this opportunity, Heavenly Father, to speak words through this medium, Lord, and I just pray that you bless the ears that hear them, and for those that believe, enrich their heart, place a hunger inside of them, dear Lord, so that they will want to come closer to you build a stronger and a brighter 
lasting relationship. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I just pray that these are just seeds that uh, they'll somehow find their way into their hearts and that they will ask for repentance and get to know who you are and feel your blessing. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great and uh, glorious one, and we'll talk to you Friday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.